Hello and welcome to another DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and with me is Elise who reviews for me at Smart Bitches. You may remember her from such incidents as 10 Things She Hates About Romance Novel Sex Scenes or reviews of romantic suspense which I am not terribly much a fan of. Elise sat down with me to talk about the books that she loves, what she's reading, what she's really enjoyed, why Sandra Brown books are so addictive, and what's coming next for her, as well as major questions like, where do you draw the line in the Stephanie Plum saga? And when did Anita Blake stop wearing a fanny pack? These are all key questions, and we covered them all. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of the number one New York Times bestselling author Maya Banks' all-new Surrender Trilogy, starting with the explosive Letting Go. I'll have more information about that book at the end of the podcast, as well as information about the music that you're listening to, because it's awesome, and you know where it came from. That's correct. This is from Sassy Outwater, and I'll have information about the artist in the track and all the awesome things that go with it. And now, on with the podcast. I'm so excited to talk about books. <laughs> I have, like, a stack of books sitting here. Oh, tell me about them. What do you have? I just finished Striking Distance. Pamela so, Clare book? Yeah, and it's so good. It is so good. Oh, that's so excellent. It is. It's probably one of the best romantic suspense books I've read in a really, really long time. Like, I'm still kind of blown away by it. What Except do you can, like about it? It was, I don't she's just such a good writer. Like, her characters felt so real. And I think one of the hard things about romantic suspense is having heroes who are kind of like tough alpha heroes, but they're not jerks at the same time you know they don't kind of fall into that that um alpha hole category and he her hero javier is just really he walks the line between being really sweet and compassionate because she, her, her heroine has been through so much trouble and you know still being kind of the tough badass dude and i love it that's awesome so yeah i wasn't I wasn't crazy about the ending, though. This could have been an A-plus book, and then the ending happened, and it knocked it down to an A for me. What was wrong with the ending, or can you not describe it? If I describe it, I will ruin the whole book. Oh, then, yeah, don't do that. I did that once on a podcast, and I felt really horrible. Yeah, so it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't what I was expecting. Bummer, dude. What are some of your favorite romantic suspense novels? One of the things I wanted to talk to you about was romantic suspense, because it is a genre that I don't really enjoy, so I don't talk about it very much. But you like it. So what are some of your favorites? I think probably the first romantic suspense books I started reading were gothics. And so, you know, I'll always love Victoria Holt and Phyllis Whitney and, you know, the older gothic romances. And then um, when I first started reading romantic suspense, I didn't really know it was romantic suspense at the time. It was when Sandra Brown had totally, like, broken away from romance novels and was doing the romantic suspense things. But it was marketed as thrillers yep. so I read a lot of her a lot of Linda Howard um like a lot of the big name authors that then they went from romance over to thrillers and suspense and that's kind of how I got started and I always have a place in my heart for Sandra Brown because of her absolute crazy sauce books because they're nuts not all of them but she's got some that are just so strange and I love it I loved old Sandra Brown but the thing about Sandra Brown was that it, it didn't often involve children in peril. And that's the right. thing that I can't deal with in romantic suspense. It, it seems like every time I try one, in order to in, increase the emotional connection of the reader, they throw some children in peril and I'm done. Children, yeah. periled, children dead. Yeah, I'm done now. And with Sandra Brown, I mean, there was one 
where this woman was next to another woman on a plane and then the yes. plane crashed and mirror the woman, image yes and then the woman who died was switched seats with the woman who wasn't rich but the woman who wasn't rich got the rich woman's face because you know th- nobody checks your dental records or your id or you know your teeth like nothing. So this woman gets this other woman's face, which is coincidentally not that far from hers. And she's all about to be like, yo, I'm not that person. When someone comes in her hotel room and is like, you better keep quiet or I'm going to kill you. So she decides the best thing to do is to investigate with her fake face. Yeah, I, I read that, that book. book. And in full disclosure, I was too young to be reading that book when I read that book. <laughs> and there was a scene in it where they she describes the heroine as milking the hero oh, and being like the good upper Midwestern girl that I am. I was visualizing like how you milk a cow and I was trying to understand how that would feel good. And like, I'm still traumatized by that to this day. Oh, yes. She had another book called The Switch, and the hero was a Native American astronaut. Like you do. Like you do. And there, again, there were twins, and it was a twin switch up. And I remember one of the twins was, like, part of a publicity firm or something that took um, celebrities around town. And all I remember about this other twin was that she had just gotten artificially inseminated. And they decided to do the, uh, like, parent trap thing where they were going to switch roles for a day so that the newly pregnant twin could go hang out with the handsome astronaut. And then there was maybe a murder, and we weren't sure which twin lived and which twin was really sleeping with the astronaut. Was it the pregnant one? Was it the not pregnant one? We don't know. And then some Native Americans were mad at the Native American astronaut because he wasn't supporting their cause. It was full-on crazy sauce. Which twin is sleeping with the native american astronaut is it the pregnant twin or the not pregnant twin you'd think these would be simple questions to answer like go to cvs and get a test says these are not tricky questions yeah wow. her books are crazy. Well, getting- i love them they weren't like super violent they were suspenseful but there wasn't like entrails and nobody's intestines right. came flying out in a sandra brown novel there was shoulder pads and big hair and some suspense and maybe some plastic surgery to give you someone else's face or something. Like there was no like violent, you know, exsanguination and lots of body parts everywhere. I felt like she watched a lot of Dynasty. Yes, it was very <laughs> Dynasty romantic suspense, those books. I love them. And they're crack. Like you pick they one are. up, you cannot put them down. Although I, and I'm sad about this, I just DNF'd one of her books. <gasps> and I, oh, no. I kind of want to go back and finish it. But I, I'm really struggling with this one. So it's a fairly new release of hers, Lethal. Oh, and the, that is new. Yeah. So the premise is that the hero is some sort of undercover agent, and he's framed for several murders. And he's on the lam, and the heroine and her young daughter find him in her backyard, bleeding out. And he basically holds them hostage in her house. Of course. With a gun, right, while he gets patched up and is ready to go and stuff. And so the reader knows that he's he's not a murderer, that he didn't do this. But the heroine doesn't know. Right. And there are parts in the book where he's, I mean, it's like a 24-hour period that he's in the house with her that she's convinced that he is going to kill her and her daughter. And That's so romantic. Right. And there's even one part where he decides he has to sleep. And so he handcuffs her to him in the bed so that he'll know if she gets up to try to call the police or whatever. 
and she's convinced he's going to rape her. And in her mind, she's thinking, please don't let my daughter wake up. And I just, like, I can't believe that later on everything's going to be okay and they're going to fall in love, that she was that traumatized by this and she's going to come back from that. Like, as the reader, I know it, but as the main character, she doesn't. And it was just, yeah, it's too much. I put it down. What what else makes you DNF a romantic suspense? The heart through the romantic suspense is that it's kind of inherently implausible. So you really have to suspend a lot of your disbelief. But if stuff gets super, super crazy, then I have to put it down. Unless it's like F plus insane fun oh, crazy. Crazy sauce is uh, crazy sauce is always good. Yeah. But if it, you know, it, it's hard to find, that's why it's so hard to find a good romantic suspense book because it's so hard to balance something that you're willing to believe might be happening with two people falling in love while they're being shot at. Of course. Right. There's nothing more romantic than having sex in a stairwell while, while guys with guns are chasing you. Exactly. Like that, that always ends with the best of sort of orgasm. Right. And nobody ever gets really nervous and throws up. Right. That's that's what I would do. I would be in the fetal position sobbing and vomiting. And there's no problem actually reaching orgasm despite the many people with guns who are trying to kill you. You can just put that out of your mind for a moment and have a nice four-page orgasm. Right. Well, because the bad guys take orgasm breaks. They do. They <laughs> have to their union in their contract. contract. <laughs> they go outside and they have a cigarette. Is it orgasm time? All right, let's go outside. You know who does it really well is Vivian, um, or I'm sorry, for the Vivian Aaron does write really good romantic suspense, but in the intrigue line, because those are almost, I, I can't get into the intrigue romantic suspense Harlequin ones. They're too short for me to buy what's going on. But Helen K. Diamond does it, and I believe it. Oh, so, Helen K. Diamond and Vivian Aaron write great suspense. Yeah, both, and Vivian Aaron just started this series about a search and rescue team in Banff, Canada. Yeah, And it's more... It's more like adventure, less suspense. There's not right. murdering and stuff going on, but it's really, really good. It's really hard to describe the difference, too, between romantic suspense and romantic adventure. They're they're related. There's often a suspense element, but the the romantic adventure is a very different thing than romantic suspense. Yeah, I think nobody's being shot at as kind of... Yes, there's no firearms because it's, it's right. Canada. Exactly. <laughs> and they're all too nice to shoot at you. Or if they do, they apologize. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> Don't you know. Oh, dear. So what other books have you really enjoyed lately? You know, I'm kind of in a slump, which bums me out a little that bit. Sucks. Um, you know, as far as romantic suspense goes, though, I really, really liked um, that Bagram Op series by Kalia Cross. I think yeah. Jane mentioned that she liked that, too. And it's set in Afghanistan. It's more of a military romantic suspense, but it's really well done. Really? I read one of the, they're very, very, very emotional, though. Like, it's one of those books that's going to take all your guts out and stomp on them and then stuff them back inside of you. But it, they're really good. I reviewed one a while back, and I can't remember the name of it because I'm bad like that. Right. But there was a helicopter on the back and, like, faces looking menacingly into the distance. Of so. Course. Who else have I... Oh, I'm reading... I'm actually listening to it on audio, Fear For Me by Cynthia Eden. Ooh. And that one is... It's a romantic suspense, but it's very, very... You would not like it. Lots of gore and visceration and blood. It's very scary. It's... Entrails. Entrails. It's about a serial killer who breaks out of prison. And instead of going for Mexico, which would be a smart thing to do, he wants to get revenge on the DA who put him there. Of and course. so... Of course. 
who's of course I think she's like 28 in the book and she's a district attorney which I thought was interesting of course um, and so the U.S. Marshal who helped catch the guy comes to protect the DA and they had an affair before but then he walked out on her and so she's still ass heard about it and he's I'm not sure what his deal is yet Meanwhile, the serial killer's hanging around, lurking in the shadows, breaking into her house. I always like when, uh, when, a, when a good suspense novel is going on or, or there's some sort of mystery and, like, obvious shit happens. Like, wow, I don't remember leaving that fork over there. And it never occurs to anyone that someone was in the house. In the house. Like, yes. come on. Yeah. This one, she was, what was she doing? She was carrying groceries in the house and he murdered her best friend in her house and i don't know if he thought it was her or he just her best friend was there and so he killed her so she still lives in the house where her best friend got killed well i think this happened like a day ago the story is still it's it's not a long time frame it's pretty compressed i don't know if she's gone yet i would so be at the motel six but anyway yes yes for sure i mean it's a crime scene you wouldn't be able to use the kitchen and it's no, not like I, crime I don't scene think they released the house word. Yeah, like, okay. So anyway, sorry. I apologize. Reality was intruding on this conversation. That's just not okay. <laughs> oh, I think I messaged you on Twitter about the book that made me really, really mad with the incredibly sexist hero. Oh, yeah. Those were yeah, horrible like, messages. I was getting upset on your behalf. Yeah, so I actually, I'm like pulling this up and reading parts to you because this is how I got maybe... 10% of the way into the book, and then I was like, no more. So the book was uh, Blue Forever by Nina Burns, and the hero is a Marine. He's on a secret mission in China, and he's just, like, his thoughts are so offensive. So he realizes he's going to have to sync up with uh, this woman who works for the State Department, and he says, Kip would much, and his name is Kip, too, which is the manliest of names. Uh, Kip would much rather deal with a man. You could talk to a man, reason logically with a man, no muss, no fuss. Women were just so damn emotional and unreasonable. And then later on, he... Wait, really? Yeah, that's really what he thinks. And then he thinks to himself, oh, she doesn't look that tough. A wink and a smile, and she'd be putty in his hands. Women love to be needed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and there's a scene, too, where she's shooting out of the back of a Jeep at the bad guys, and he actually thinks that she's just so adorable because she's missing shooting them because she's never shot a gun before. But she's, it, he thinks it's cute. Yuck. <laughs> so, so that's the problem with romantic suspense is a lot of heroes slide into that category where the author wants them to be these really tough, hardcore, you know, badass guys, but then they're just turn into douches and you don't want to read about it and you know it's it's finding i think that balance between having a sympathetic hero and one that you believe can still you know get danger boner while shooting at bad (laughs) guys danger boner (laughs) so one of the other things that you really like to review on the site is historical what are some of your favorite historical authors my first historical author was kathleen woodwiss and I'll always love her, but then I went back and reread some of her books as an adult. They were so messed. That'll scar you for life. Oh, I think the first romance I read was A Rose in Winter, and that was the one where the hero pretended to be this scarred up old guy, and so she never slept with her husband, and she just 
you know, he just kind of lurked around. But meanwhile, he was secretly, I don't know what he was doing, fighting crime or something. And so she met him without his... He was a spy. And sort of started falling in love with him. It was so weird. It, it was, was a, a very strange book. Probably the chief of police, you know. Like you right, know. but when you're 14, you're, oh, that makes total sense. Oh, of course. I, re- I accepted some completely bonkers shit. I remember one historical that I read. It was something about when the ravens return to this estate and the family gets the land back. It was all, it was all hinging on some birds, which already is just doofy. But the, the hero was a complete asshole. Like, he was an unmitigated jerk. But he was really good at playing the piano. <laughs> And so whenever he would play the piano with his tortured, tortured soul, the heroine would be like, oh, but his music and birds and piano. That was what this guy had going for him, birds and playing the piano. And I still remember this book like, wow, that was amazing because it was like so over the top and they were very intense. And I was 14 and I was all kinds of familiar with intense I thought it was amazing. And then I went back and read it and was like, what's wrong with me? Why did I like that? Yeah, I remember reading Jane Eyre the first time and being like, of course you like your crazy wife in the attic. Like, what else are you going to well, do? Well, of course you put yeah. it. Yeah. Why, why is that an issue? Why is everyone getting all bent out of shape about this? It, look, if she's crazy and you don't want her to be around, then of course you should lock her in the closet. That makes perfect yeah. sense. Totally. Um but historicals, I don't know, Regencies are my comfort reads, but I'm trying to break out of that because there's so many good books that take place in different time periods. So I just reviewed a Western for you, and she, um, the author is Laurie Austin, and yes. she has a whole trilogy set in the Wild West. And so I bought the first two books, and I'm looking forward to those because she did a really, I thought, good job. I think she handled it really well. Her hero was not Native American, but lived with them for a long time. He was actually initially a slave um, to the Cheyenne and then kind of assimilated into their culture. So I'm reading those. And then there's a series of books that I really enjoyed that take place during the Great Chicago Fire. Whoa. Yeah. Like the fire happens in the first chapter and then everything, it's the events that happen after that. And that's by Susan Wiggs. And I want to say the first book is The Hostage. It's, I think, The Hostage, The Mistress, and The Firebrand. And the other thing I liked about The Hostage was it also took place in northern Michigan. The it, the book opens up with this, she's sort of like a debutante. Her father is, I don't know what you would call, like a captain of industry or something. And the fire breaks out and... Uh, as the Chicago fire is going on, this man is coming to get revenge on her father because his unsafe business practices mining basically killed one of his friends. And he sees the daughter and takes the opportunity to kidnap her. And they wind up on this island in Michigan. And it sounds crazy, but it makes <laughs> it makes more sense when you're reading it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Whoa. These are, I think they were published in the 90s originally. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I also think that there's something, one of these things is not like the other, the hostage, the mistress, and the firebrand. Yeah. Well, one of those things doesn't fit real well. I think she was a, I think the firebrand was like a suffragette. So what was the first romance you ever read? Oh, I think it was. remember. The A Rose in Winter. Was A Rose in Winter? That was it. Yeah. I found it in the basement and it was in a box of books that belonged to my mom. She had all the Kathleen Woodowis books and I went through and read all of them in like a week. 
And I was very, that's dangerous. Yeah. I don't know if that's a recommended activity. No, it was summer. I was a kid. I was bored. Yeah. Yeah. I learned a lot about alpha hole heroes. But wait, aren't you, aren't you, aren't you like from the Midwest? I'm from the upper Midwest. Yeah. The socialist republics of the upper Midwest. Yeah. Yeah. Don't you have things to do in the summer? Like state fairs? Um, the state fair here is glorious and you need to come and eat some of the cheese pu- or cheese puffs, cheese curds and cream puffs. I Those are the two. I went to the like- Minnesota state fair from, with a friend of mine who is from, I think it's Roseland. Is that a place? Okay. Right. It's a place outside Minneapolis somewhere. Anyway, she has gone to the Minnesota state fair every year. So we did the tour and I saw every goddamn inch of the Minnesota state fair. I saw the dairy barn. <laughs> I saw like all these stands where you could like shoot things. And then we yep. got like a bucket of chocolate chip cookies and then crossed the whole damn fair to go to the truck with the milk because you got to get the free cup of milk from the giant tanker truck. It's like a giant industrial udder full of milk with your mm-hmm. bucket of cookies. And it's clear on the other side of the fair. They don't move these things near each other. I saw Elvis Presley's seed art. I saw a seed art of pop stars at the time that I went. I think there was some Spice Girls seed art. The seed art was amazing. I saw the Butterheads. Mm-hmm. The Butterheads you... were amazing. Sarah, my brother-in-law used to date Alice in Dairyland. Okay? Get out. For real. For reals? For reals. Oh yeah, God. he and Alice in Dairyland, they were a thing. No. Yeah. Oh, my God. When you, when you grow up in Wisconsin in the late 80s, early 90s, a nice man from the Dairy Council comes and teaches, like, your fifth grade class a six-week seminar, basically, on all the different types of cows and milk and cheese production. I still know more about cows today than is reasonable for any adult to know. <laughs> has this been useful for you in your profession at all? Um, it has not been. <laughs> not whatsoever. That's so, terrible. That's very yeah. sad. And I, I have not read any good dairy farmer romances either. They're always cattle ranchers, but never dairy farmers. Why are there no dairy farmer romances? This is well, a very good question. Huh. I, I, I don't know. I'm going to ask on Twitter. Twitter. <laughs> Why are there no dairy Do farmer romances? Do you know of any dairy farmer romances? Let me ask. Because, I mean, that seems like a legitimately manly profession, right? you got to get up early and milk those cows. Milk a cow. Yeah. Take care of them. He's taking care of a lot of ladies every day. I just don't understand. How are there not more dairy? Oh, people are retweeting this. We, <laughs> we don't know the answer, but we're going to lift this question into this into the greatest heights of Twitter. We must share whether or not there are dairy farmer romance. You know, there are a bunch of professions that you'd think would be in romance. Another retweet that there are a lot of hero professions that are missing. Like there's no dairy farmer romance heroes. There are all these ranchers and rodeo guys, but you never have, like, the the veterinarian who specializes in, like, reptiles and birds. Jennifer McQuiston has a book coming out that you sent me, Moonlight on My Mind, and it's a regency, but the hero is a veterinarian, and I thought that was so cool. Really? Really. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The first two books are on sale. That's probably why the, that's probably why they're on sale. When is the new one coming out? I want to say it's March 25th. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah, so the hero's a vet. I thought that was really neat. And his family's very disapproving that he's a vet because they want him to be, I don't know, aristocratic and not do anything. So that's a really interesting thing because you read the first book and really didn't like it, but then went back for book two and now book three. Are you still, are you glad that you stuck with her? 
Oh, absolutely. It takes a lot for me to not read an author anymore. I have to be actually offended by what I'm <laughs> reading for me to never read an author again. Unless, you know, I've run into self-published works that just, it was obvious it had never seen an editor, stuff like that. I won't, I won't go back to that. I don't want to be your copy editor. Um, oh, I hate that too. I read a self-published book a while and I just deleted it immediately. It was on sale for 99 cents, which is why I bought it. And there's this part where the hero is asking her, he's, he goes, so, you know, what did you do this morning? And she's like, oh, I took a nap and then I made breakfast. And he goes, I wish I had been there to see that. And she's like, to make, see me making breakfast? And he goes, no, taking a nap. And I'm like, who watches someone take a nap? That's really boring. That's really weird. Unless you have a concussion or something and they have to wake you up a bunch of times. But why would you, I blame Twilight. Watching, watching people, people sleep. sleep. Yeah. Yes. I, like, I and think you're right. To put it in perspective, I think I hated Twilight more than I have hated almost any other book. And I still read all four. <laughs> like, I, I'll just keep going. Why did you read all four? I don't know. It was it was one of those where it was like an F plus book for me. And so I could not be- I was reading it and texting my friends at night. You won't believe what I just read and texting them <laughs> passages and stuff. I barely finished the first one i did not like being in her head i was so bored i had the same problem with 50 shades of gray which is like totally not a surprise when you're that deep in the point of view of a character and she is freaking boring it is so difficult to maintain interest and to think it's at all interesting what really upset me was just the whole like oh my family believes I just mysteriously fell out of a window and was really badly injured. No one questions the fact that perhaps my strange new boyfriend and his weird cult like family might be abusing me. Like everyone just took everything at face value, of right? Of course. Oh, that's weird. The kids never come out when it's sunny. Oh well. Yeah, it's, don't you question know, that. They they're very special. They go hiking. Their dad's a doctor. It's legit. Yeah, it's fine. And they're they're step siblings or whatever foster siblings, but they're dating. It's not weird. We're not going to question that. Right. And when that happens in any other book, I'm like, okay, no, 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 no. Nope. Yeah. Anyone who's had step siblings can tell you that's so, so icky. So icky. I have three dairy farmer romances for you. You, I'm so excited. But one of only two of them are actual books. Donna, Uh Donna Heron reminds me. That the hero in The Fall of Shane McCade by Nora Roberts was a dairy farmer, she thinks. And I think she's right about that. That was the McCade series, which is one of Nora's early um, silhouette uh, category romances. But they all take place in Antietam, Maryland. Um, And then (laughs) Allison says, well, my uncle Walt and my aunt Dot have been married for many decades up on the dairy farm. (laughs) I just I don't know if there is a more Midwestern name set than Walt and Dot. Like No, I don't think so. I think they're the king and queen of the Midwest. And Jennifer Saul says The Dairy Queen is a great YA book with dairy farming as a backdrop and has a really nice romantic element. So there you go, dairy romances. I'm happy. Like I feel complete. Did have you I don't know if you get the ads where you are for farmers only, the farmers dating website no somebody brought that up on the on the in in reply and i was like that's not real is it it is totally real and now i'm putting this out there to any authors who are listening i want a dairy farmer romance where they meet on a farmers only dating website i need that to happen farmers only and their tagline is because city folks just don't understand what 
Yep. That's like bad small town romance tagline. It, yes. Yes. And it, the commercial in the country. Oh my god. The commercials are on here all the time, and they look like somebody went out with their old VHS giant camcorder and recorded them. Oh, my Lord. And there's sister sites, including American dating, traditional dating, rural dating, Christian dating, and senior dating. What's traditional dating? Farmers only traditional dating. Traditional dating and cowboy dating are both given a state-of-the-art twist. The only thing that differs in the way that people of shared traditional values meet, our members moderate the site. I don't even understand what they're saying. All right, success stories. Oh, yeah. There are success stories. And um, every single... Nope, nope, nope. One dude is not wearing a ball cap. (laughs) But all of them, there's two dudes wearing, not wearing a ball cap, and there's many dudes that are wearing a ball cap, all of which seem to indicate a form of tractor machinery. Wow. Oh, for sure. You're right. Farmersonly.com. City folks just don't get it. This is welcome amazing. To, welcome to my world, Sarah. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. This is incredible. I feel like I could get lost in this site. <laughs> Are you going to create a profile just so you can look around? No, I'm, I, I, I just want to read all the success stories and hope they're all really happy. And they all have names like Walt and Dot. Yeah, and, and they're all being photographed in some sort of farmers-only booth, and all of the signs are in Comic Sans. <laughs> Find a date or make new friends in Comic Sans. You can't run a dating site with Comic Sans. You want to hear my impression of a of Minnesota stripper? Yes, yes, please. I really do. <laughs> Hi, you guys. My name is Cherish, and I just want you all to know I ain't never lost to the amateur night. <laughs> nice. That is actually from, there's a wonderful book, if you have a sense of humor about sex, called Candy Girl that Diablo Cody wrote. She stripped for a year in Minneapolis, Minnesota. No, I did the not know is- this. The book is hilarious. It is probably one of the funniest books I ever read. And I listened to it in the car on my way to and from work. And I would laugh so hard that I would have to, I would think about pulling over because (laughs) it was just, it is so, so funny. This was before she was, you know, writing and, but it was, it's, it's the funniest book ever. I want to read this book right now. It's a quick read, but it's really funny. So if you were talking to somebody who didn't read a lot of romance and really liked the books you liked, like suspense, like historicals, like regencies, what books would you give them to try to convince them that romance is completely awesome? What's in your sort of conversion kit? Aside from, you know, cheese. Right. I'm sending you cheese now um, and cream puffs. I always, (laughs) I always keep Edith Layton for my regencies and Eloisa James because they're both just so good. But if I'm kind of converting people from the mysteries, then I, Lisa Jackson is very good. A lot of the authors that kind of the covers look more thrillery than romancy, I think, is the way to go. Linda Howard. Sandra Brown, you have to really tread with caution. It depends on how much I think they want to read about crazy twin astronaut shenanigans. Who doesn't want to read about crazy twin astronaut shenanigans? I know I do. 
In fact, I'm a little indignant that there's not more of that. I can understand that. Uh, let's see, who else would be on that list? Sometimes Janet Ivanovich, too. Even though she's not really a romance writer, she's kind of a, a good segue, I think, into the romance genre because she does have that that romantic arc between Stephanie and the two main characters that go through the whole series. I had to give up and just assign an ending to the Stephanie Plum series. Yeah. Like, I just, okay, I can't, I can't do this anymore. I have to just, I just have to declare that this is the character that she ends up with, and that's who she ends the books with, and I'm done now. I quit at, I think, 19. Who did you, who did you decide she ended up with? I stopped reading before she turned Morelli into a douche, and so I picked Morelli because I didn't read any of the douchey parts, and I thought that Ranger was really creepy. I picked Morelli, too. Good. He's got a house and a golden retriever. I know she turns him into something of a dick who's really, like, sexist and assholic, but I liked him way better than Ranger. I thought Ranger was just creepy. Yeah, I I don't know if I thought he was creepy. I didn't think there was a lot going on there. I thought he was kind of one-dimensional. Yeah. He was, like, the hot dude that showed up and gave her a car and then disappeared again. Right. He might as well be a guy on a calendar on her wall. Like, that's Pretty his much, dimension. Yeah. So I totally picked Morelli and was like, okay, I'm done. But if I read the first one, the scene where Grandma Mazur shoots the chicken in the Gumpy will yes. make me laugh every time. You just have to say Gumpy and I'll start laughing. I like the one where the dump truck falls on her car. Yes, that's it's always good. Early yeah. early Stephanie Plum car destruction is excellent car destruction. It is. It, it is. is very good. It, towards the end, it's like, okay, what'd you do to the car this time? But in the beginning, it was like, whoa. And, and she, she just gives started... the hamster a blueberry and then shit falls on her car. And it's like, this is yeah. great. She started a new series, too. And I can't remember who the other author is. I think the book was like Pros and Cons or something. I it's a it heist. Dorian novel. Kelly. I think she's writing with Dorian okay. Kelly. I haven't read it. I don't know. I'm kind of Ivanovich'd out. Yes, I am Ivanovich'd out, too. I am Ivanovich'd. I can't. I used to read Laurel Hamilton religiously and then Stephanie Plum, or Stephanie Plum. Um, what was her name? Anita Blake. Oh, God. And that's horrible. Oh, God. Many, many, many readers on the site have talked about how Anita Blake became a gleaming orifice or glistening orifice. Either way, she just became a giant orifice. Pretty much. It was horrible. And, and she was so great. I mean, like early, early Anita Blake. When she would match her socks to her polo shirt and put on a fanny pack. Yes. And go raise the dead. <laughs> and it would be like, I've got purple socks and black jeans and a purple polo shirt and a fanny pack. And I'd be like, you go, girl. You go raise the dead looking like that. And she collected stuffed penguins. Yes. And she was like a dork. I mean, she was yes. running around matching her socks to her polo shirt. There's and the, the thing I liked about her early on was there was really this struggle with humanity where she saw horrible things and was really conflicted about belonging to the paranormal community. And then it just it just shifted and she became the magic hoo-hoo or whatever of all the were-leopard, panther. Right, everybody got to have, everybody's got to put themselves in her body in some way. Yeah. And it was, yeah, I didn't understand why that she spent all this time justifying it, too. Like, if you want to write erotica, just write erotica. Don't do all the navel-gazing associated with that. Oh, I had a recommendation for someone that called in on your last podcast. Please the one that liked, do. Yeah, she liked the last hour of Gan. Every podcast we're talking about this lizard book. I'm going to have Because it's lizard people. You have to talk about it. Did you read it? I have not read it. I bought it. I haven't read it yet. Um, but there is a 
sort of fantasy series. It's got a little bit of romance in it that's really big on world building, and I really loved it. Uh, the first book is called Kushiel's Dart, and it's oh, by Jack and Carrie. Yes, the Carrie you read series. Those? No, but I know exactly what you're talking about. You're totally right. They are so good, and it's sort of this, I would say, like, Renaissance Europe, but it's a very free love, open Renaissance Europe, and the main yeah. character's a, a courtesan, because that's totally a legit job, and you have to go to school for it and the whole nine yards. And she um, is a spy, too. And she's the Kushiel's dark refers to a red dot in her eye. And people who are born with this, she's called a um, anguisette. And basically, she derives pleasure from pain and humiliation during sex. So she's basically a sub or a masochist. And I read an interview with Carrie where she said that she wrote her character that way because she was sick of reading fantasy novels where the heroine was always kind of threatened with the sexual violence. And so she sort of brought out this heroine that subverts that and was kind of like, yeah, whatevs. <laughs> There's three books in the original Kushiel series, and then she writes several more in that world, too. And those I really enjoyed. And I'm usually not a fantasy reader. That's awesome. Thank you. I'll add that to the list of books that will accompany the podcast. Awesome. Now I kind of want to go read Mirror Image again. You should. You should totally read Mirror Image. And you should review it as yourself in the future going, oh, wow. I'll, I'll never get over the milking scene, though. I'll always <laughs> be upset about that. Well, when you're from Wisconsin, it just has a completely different meaning. It does. It does. I've, I've milked things in my life. Cows and goats and such. If, if something is being milked, you, pres- you just presume that it is an udder. Right. Or an udder-like attachment not i just a, i think not a i wean. assumed it was the same gesture and like i couldn't figure out how that would not be weird you know exactly yeah that's just not gonna work and that's all for this week's podcast i hope you enjoyed this episode Next week, Jane and I are going to sit down with Katie D. from Dear Author, who reviews over there. And that is also a really fun interview. I hope you enjoyed this peek at some of the people who work with us while we review books. We're going to try to interview as many reviewers as will hold still and sit down long enough for us to do so. This podcast is brought to you by Berkeley, publisher of number one New York Times bestselling author Maya Banks' all-new Surrender Trilogy, starting with the explosive Letting Go. Jocelyn found perfection once. And she knows she'll never find it again. Now widowed, she seeks the one thing her beloved husband couldn't give her. Dominance. Dash has lived in an untenable position for years, in love with his best friend's wife, but unwilling to act on that attraction. Yet when he finds her in a club devoted to the darker edges of desire, he's furious because he thinks she has no idea what she's getting herself into. You can find out more about Letting Go and the entry that goes with this podcast. This book is on sale now wherever books are sold. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. All the best music comes from Sassy, I swear. You can follow her on Twitter, at Sassy Outwater. This is a Scottish fiddler named Duncan Chisholm. Duncan just released an, a live album, but this is from his latest studio album. You can find him on iTunes and on his website, and I'll have links in the entry that goes with the podcast that will tell you where to go if you want to buy this, because it's awesome. And gosh, all the music she sends is so fun. I really like it. I hope you like it, too. And did you know that this is our 80th podcast? Isn't that awesome? And if you've been listening for all 80, then you know what to do. If you have an idea or a suggestion or some feedback or you want to tell us that we're wrong or you want to tell Jane that she's wrong, because even if she's not on the podcast, you can still tell her that. 
You can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. We love email. You can call us at our Google Voice number, 1-201-371-DBSA. Don't forget to give us your name, where you're calling from, so we can include your message in an upcoming podcast. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Smart Bitches, and Jane is at Dear Author. And Elise is at Elise Indeed, E-L-Y-S-E-I-N-D-E-E-D. We'll be back next week with more romance novels, interviews, mayhem, and assorted silliness. And until then, Jane and Elise and I all wish you the very best of reading. Thank you for listening. <laughs>